I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that passage that Pastor Steve and we read together a few moments ago. You probably know it by heart from memory, so you may not even need to refer to it there. I'm talking, of course, about the beloved 23rd Psalm. We typically hear it read or we participate in reading this part of the Scriptures at funeral services, thinking about the fact that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that the Lord is with us. But today I want to to help us kind of twist the diamond of Psalm 23 a bit and look at the fact that that God is with us even when we are fatigued and battle-worn. So I want to start this morning with a question. And you don't need to raise your hand, although if it would be cathartic and therapeutic for you to do so, you may feel free to do so. Um, My question is, are you tired? Are you tired? Well, there's some honest folks in in the group. If you're not tired this morning, that's great. Uh, and maybe you woke up this morning entirely refreshed and, and ready to face the day, and that's a very good thing. Maybe you thought about making a, a pot of coffee this morning, but when you went to the coffee pot, you said to yourself, no, I feel so alive already that any more caffeine would be like pouring kerosene on a fire. And, and you're just feeling that energetic. This morning, you maybe you looked in the mirror uh, and your first thought was, man, I look so good today, full of health and vitality. Uh, I scare my own self. Maybe that's your condition today. But maybe it's not. Very possibly it's not the case for you. Instead, this morning you awakened and you have a feeling already of being worn out even before the day has begun. Because in a very real way, we live in a world where people are tired and weary. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. But not about the kind of weariness that is corrected by a good night's sleep. Or the kind that comes from a day of strenuous exercise or physical exertion. I want instead to talk about spiritual fatigue, a fatigue of the soul, a weariness of body, soul, and spirit that causes you to have this kind of malaise that, that covers your life like a pall that makes you feel spiritually tired and weary. And when you're in this condition and you know if you've been there or if you are now, you know what it feels like and, and you grieve over the fact that this weariness is stealing some of the joy of your life and your walk with God, that you're not enjoying the abundant life, you're not enjoying relationships the way that you know are possible. And when you live in that state of spiritual fatigue, and I'm familiar with people who camp out there a long time, you begin to struggle in living out even your faith values. And and there's times when spiritual doubt will enter in like a cloud and, and it's no longer fun to be what God has called you to, to be and do. Not because you're out to outrightly defy God, but because you just feel too fatigued. You feel overwhelmed by life that almost that you can't even muster up enough energy and strength to follow the Lord in a walk of faith and obedience. And it seems to me that this kind of fatigue, spiritual soul fatigue, I think is becoming more commonplace in our complex and fast-paced lives. And many of us don't even know we're experiencing it. 
It just comes on us and we don't even know how to diagnose what's wrong with our soul until all of a sudden we glance up at the dashboard of our lives and we realize that we are running our lives on empty. And I don't believe that that's the way that God intends us to live. Do you? He wants us to live a full life. John 10.10, I have come to give you life and that life more abundantly. Now, that doesn't mean that you're hop-skipping and jumping all over through life. I mean, it's a realistic world. There are times when it's going to be tough and strenuous. But it does mean that we are tapping into the spiritual resources that are ours in Christ Jesus. I'm becoming an old broken record. Uh, in these recent weeks, because I am convinced if we could only tap into the resources that God has provided us through Christ, that He is sufficient. He is Christ, is all we need. Can I get an amen? He's all we need. For whatever it is that you're facing, Jesus is enough. Jesus, even in those times of spiritual fatigue, provides resource to us. In fact, I want to remind you that one day Jesus looked at a group of people who were tired and battle-worn, and he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you, here's the promise, and you will find rest for your soul. In Psalm 23, the passage that we're looking at in depth today, David the shepherd says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So there you have provision for those of us who are weary. We're, we're, we're not on the mountaintop today, but we're in the valley. There's provision in Jesus for us today. And I'd like us to remember that this morning as we talk about some of the signs of spiritual fatigue. And that's where I want to begin. I want to look at some of the signs of spiritual fatigue and then look at the the corresponding resource that God has provided us in Christ. So first of all, what are some of the signs of soul fatigue? Now, I'm going to walk you through five of them this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. Probably many more could be added to this. But I'm going to walk you through five And if you're too tired and exhausted to listen, I'll understand. If I see you nodding off, it will be a sign that you're part of this uh, complex life that we're living in. Five signs of soul fatigue. The first of this is a frequent or constant sense of feeling rushed. That is to say, an ongoing sense that there just aren't enough hours in the day. That there are too many things that I have to do, too many responsibilities that need to be met, too many obligations to be carried out, too many things that I want to do, but there just isn't enough time to do. And so what we do in our society is this, that we learn to go faster and faster and faster. Just look at our lives. We send packages by Federal Express. We use a long-distance company called Sprint. We manage our personal finances with software called Quicken. We schedule our appointments in a book called a Day Runner. We diet with Slim Fast. And we swim in trunks made by Speedo. We do all of this so rapidly that we are 
tortured by a sense of always being behind. That there are important things that need to be done, but I just don't have the time. I'm too rushed. I can't do it. If one thing goes wrong in my schedule, one interruption, one delay, we just aren't able to catch up. There's this constant sense of being rushed or fatigued. I'd say more about this, but I don't have time. So I'm going to go on to the next sign. A second sign of spiritual fatigue is difficulty making decisions. We are so obsessed with wanting lots of alternatives that we live in what experts call choice overload. You look at the choice factor of our lives today compared to the lives of people a hundred years ago, and it is absolutely unbelievable. Just take one very simple activity. A hundred years ago, if people wanted to wash their hair, they used lye soap. Today, however, there are over 1,260 kinds of shampoo, a shampoo for dry hair, itchy hair, oily hair, limp hair, colored hair, blow dryer damaged hair. I went and bought shampoo the other day. And I've started to use a shampoo for men. It's a thickening shampoo <laughs> for men's hair who is thinning. It's made for men for thinning hair. And not only was it specific enough that you have to have this thickening shampoo, but there, there's now a dandruff-preventing thickening shampoo. It's just, I stood in the aisle of Walmart and I felt overwhelmed. I just wanted to scream. All I want is shampoo. There's shampoo to make your hair smell like any kind of flower, any kind of fruit, and several kinds of vegetables. <laughs> there are 2,000 skin products and over 75 kinds of tennis shoes in all different colors. And I think 74 of those pair are in the garage by the back door at our home. Just 30 years ago, there were only three television networks. If you wanted to watch TV, you just had one of three choices. Today, there are hundreds of channels with thousands of bad shows to choose from. You go to a restaurant and you choose what you're going to eat from a menu the size of an old novel. Just trying to decide what you're going to eat can be exhausting. How many of you sit before the menu with a sense of indecision? Do I want the salad? Do I want the salad with chicken? Do I want the salad with steak? Do I want the low-fat dressing? Do I want the vinaigrette? What do I want? And, and we live, I think, part of this racing feeling that we have is because we have choice overload. And it wears us down. A, a third sign of spiritual fatigue is, is what I call a surplus of information and a deficit of wisdom. I get fatigued, I personally get fatigued, because I feel there is so much information that I need to get my hands around that I should be mastering that I'm not mastering. We, have, we live in a day of information overload. In fact, it is estimated that the amount of new information that will become available today, today, just today, not yesterday's information, but new information today, it would take us the rest of our lives to get our hands around just today's information. That's part of the problem. Uh, we're, we're in a period of information overload. A few weeks ago, uh, we decided to buy a new alarm clock. 
we were using an alarm clock that I had had when I was a high schooler. And we decided that it was probably time to invest in a new alarm clock. We got this new alarm clock. It had a, a CD player in it, and it had digital numbers and, and all the rest. Uh, and uh, we plugged it in, and we set the alarm. Uh, we didn't read the instruction booklet, but we set the alarm. And uh, the next morning at 5 o'clock, the alarm went off blaring in our bedroom. And it, the alarm clock is on Kathy's side of the bed. And so it was her responsibility to turn it off. And she was struggling trying to get this thing off and pushing every button and every dial on the thing. And finally, she calls out of bed and she gets her glasses on, thinking that her bifocals will help her to see how to turn this thing off. And I'm getting irritated that this thing is blaring, just blaring. Shut the thing off. Do you know we still haven't figured out how to shut the thing off? I went to the instruction manual and was discouraged because the instruction manual was 65 pages in length. All I want to do is know how to shut the thing off. For most of human history, if people wanted to know what time it was, they looked at a sundial. Sundials did not come with 45 pages of instructions. We are the most informed people who have ever lived. And yet, let me ask the question. In light of all this information, are we the wisest? Will we go down as the most informed generation in this generation? We will. But will people look back at this era and say these were the wisest people who ever lived? The writer of Proverbs puts it like this. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. You see, it's interesting to me that the writer of Proverbs does not say that information is more precious than rubies, but wisdom is more precious than rubies. Wisdom does not come to a mind that is rushed and fatigued. And that's exactly where some of us are today. A fourth sign of spiritual fatigue is that sense of stagnation or superficiality. I call it skimming in my relationship with God. I'm wondering how you rate yourself in this area. Do you have a sense that things are stagnant in your spiritual life, in your walk with God? Are your prayers hurried? Do you find yourself waiting on the Lord or more often running around for the Lord? Do you find that your mind is being deeply formed and shaped as you immerse yourself in Scripture and the Word? Or do you just feel like you're skimming through your spiritual life, just hitting the high tops of life? Why is it that I can speak to a 60-year-old man about the things he's struggling with and it will often be the same things that he was struggling with when he was 25 years of age? Why is it that there's not more progress, not more fruitfulness, not more abundance in our life? The truth is that for so many people, because things are going so fast and because we get so fatigued, our life in Christ is not developing in the way it should. We're not going into the depths of God's riches. A sense of stagnation. Fifth and finally, we are fatigued. Because, and a sign of this is our decreased ability to love and care. I would guess 
that every one of us in this room would, would admit that they want to be a more loving, a more caring person. And yet I find that soul fatigue is possibly the greatest barrier to love because when your own spiritual well is dry, there's just not a whole lot left to give to others. Parents understand the kind of energy that it takes to parent well and, and how often we realize that right now my child needs my attention. He needs conversation. He needs me to listen. He needs my presence. He needs my attention. But I'm not able to give it often as a parent because I'm rushed in other matters. And sometimes I just don't have it to give. My resources are totally exhausted and depleted. Again, it's not because you don't want to give. You do. But it's because of a spiritual, a soul fatigue that you lack the energy, the power, and the strength just to love, just to give. And what we're facing, I believe, in our age is deadly serious. It creates people who are constantly rushed, who are always behind, who are indecisive, who are superficial in their walk with God, who are disconnected with God, and are too fatigued, too tired to love. And because we feel stuck in this rapid lifestyle which is different than we want to be living, we take on frustration and guilt and shame and anger on top of all the other things that we're dealing with. Till at times it feels like your heart is growing smaller rather than growing bigger. Your spirit is withering. Your sense of joy is evaporating. You walk through life joylessly. You just kind of march through, gutting it out every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You gasp, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Monday, And we just gut it out. But I think there's another way to live. David, who was a really busy guy himself, ruling Israel, had a few pressures of his own. And he gives us some clues on how to live a different way. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And David makes this remarkable statement. He restores my soul. You see, there's a sense in which if you walk according to the first four parts of this passage, you'll be able to enjoy the final part, that is God restoring your soul, where you can begin to diminish the effect of spiritual fatigue in your life. What, what's the healing of this soul fatigue that we're facing? First of all, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's, there's a real basic decision involved here in the first part of Psalm 23.1. The basic decision is this. Have I put my life in the hands of God? Ask any sheep and they'll tell you that life without a shepherd is a life of worry. Worry about the future. Worry about your children. Worry about your job, your health, whatever crisis you're in. I will not ask you how many of you are subject to to worry. Have you discovered that worry is a constructive way, life-giving way to deal with the future? Absolutely not. There's another way to do life. What is it? It is to put your life as a sheep. It is to put your life in the hands of the great shepherd. To say, Lord, my life is yours. I belong to you. My past, my present, my future, they are yours. 
my sin. You've provided a remedy for my sin in providing your son Jesus on the cross. And you can wipe the slate clean and you forgive me and you pour out your grace on me and I can be free from that sin guilt, that shame, that weight. You carry that on your shoulders for me. And then live in the constant care of the Good Shepherd. Now, if you know anything about sheep, you know that sheep don't take care of themselves. Sheep probably require more attention and meticulous care than just about any other kind of livestock, including chickens. Now that I'm a farmer, I know these things. Sheep need a shepherd, a good shepherd, a shepherd who's always thinking about them, guiding them, caring for them, watching out for them, looking out for their needs. And the beauty of Psalm 23.1 is this. We have a shepherd. His name is Jesus. And, and he's there to guide you and care for you and to feed you and nurture your soul and to lift you up when you're fallen and to heal you when you are broken. And God wants to remind you that he is your faithful father. And there's never a moment in any given day that he's not loving you and he's not present in your life as the good shepherd. And maybe what you need to do is to cry out for a fresh revelation. Say, God, give me a new vision, a new comprehension, a new understanding of the fact that you are my faithful father. And I want you to be present. He is present. Whether He, he is present. He is present here. I think we forget that. We come and march through our worship order and we forget that Jesus, the Son of God, is present. He's present. He's available. He's your Father. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows you better than anyone else. He, he wants to carry you in the times that you need to be carried. He wants to nurture you when you are starving to death spiritually. But you need to put your life in His hands. You need to say again and again and again, Lord, here I am. I am your sheep. You are my shepherd. I'm trusting you for these needs. The Lord is my shepherd. And then David goes on, to make this amazing statement. And he says, I shall not want. What an amazing statement. I shall not want. David also experienced the alternative to that, which is chronic discontent and an insatiable desire which led him into sin, the sin of adultery. And he also lived out a part of his life in that unfulfilled quest for satisfaction. But here he claims, because the Lord is my shepherd, I am totally content. I shall not want. In many respects, we live in an economy and a society that is built on the production of an insatiable desire, a quest for more. Some of the smartest people in our world devote most of their working week, working hours, thinking of ways to make you want something. To convince you of two things. They want to, the marketers want to convince you, first of all, that you are, or at least you should be, discontent. And second, that contentment for you is just one purchase away. 
that if you just have this, then you will be contented. If you turn on the television or look at the billboards by the side of the road, a thousand products cry out, use me, buy me, wear me, try me, drive me, put me in your hair. They say, you will be happy if you have a bigger house, a newer car, a higher income, better clothes, whiter teeth, fresher breath, or sleeker body. You are told that you need abs of iron, buns of steel, a flatter stomach, and sleeker thighs. You can see I'm not buying into that. Even within the church, hear me now, church, even within the church, we feel the constant pressure of constantly growing bigger. Because in our society, bigger is translated better. Bigger is not always better. We constantly are under the pressure of growing a big church and implementing the most effective programs and never able to celebrate where we are because we're always trying to make things bigger and better. How do we break out of this syndrome? What is the antidote for discontentment? How do we get to a place where we can say, I shall not want? I think it can be simplified in one word. Simplify. Simplify. And right now, and I'll talk to you more about this in August, because the whole month of August we're going to be looking at the church in 360 degrees. We're going to simplify this ministry. We're going to streamline it and focus it. Because we are wearing people out. How do we break free? We do it by simplifying. Uh, Kathy and I were confronted by the need of simplification when we came uh, about the reality of the junk that we have collected over the last 18 years of our married life while living at 3620 Cameo Way. When we made the decision to move to the country and we're moving from a house that was 2,200 square feet to a house that was 1,350 square feet, we realized that some things had to go. And I was amazed when going to our basement at the years of collecting stuff. And for weeks from the time that we made the decision to move into Floric Road away from Cameo Way, for weeks on Thursday, our garbage collection day, we lined the, the street with our junk. I'm sure the garbage man was swearing at us every Thursday. The amazing thing that I discovered was that when you lay your junk out on the curb, the next morning when you get up, there's only half of what you laid out there. That other people come along and collect your junk to add to their junk pile. Our lives are cluttered with stuff. Our lives are cluttered not only with stuff, but our lives are cluttered with activity. Our lives are cluttered with junk. What if your life were, were simplified? What if instead of that constant chase to ask yourself, what do I need to buy? What do I need to acquire? How do I need to change? What will 
bring me satisfaction. If you just simplified and said, God, I'm just a sheep and you're my shepherd, I shall not want. Yesterday, everybody was away from our house except Kathy and me. That's an unusual thing. Everybody was gone. And it was such a lovely day. And my sermon was done, and most of my work was done. And about 2.30, I said, "Hun, why don't we take a walk in the woods? She nearly fainted. <laughs> Absolutely, I'd love to. And we tromped around the woods for the next two and a half hours and felt so restored and so refreshed. I didn't need to go to an amusement park. I didn't need to, to have somebody entertain me. It was just relaxing and restorative to walk in the midst of creation. What needs to go in your calendar? What needs to go in your house? What do you need to get rid of in order to simplify? Some of you are, are cluttered with financial commitments that are choking you to death. You're making payments for things that you can't afford, for things you don't need. So ask yourself the question, how do I simplify? Third, David goes on to say about the good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the alternative to lying down to rest is frantic activity, is constant busyness, is an overcommitted lifestyle. Let me ask you have, you, have you ever run down a steep hill and because of how steep the hill is, you, you gain momentum and you keep going faster and faster and faster and, and it's even hard for your body to, to keep up with the momentum that you have. It, if you could just stop on the hill, it would be so much easier. But you've got so much downward momentum as you're going down that hill that you realize that the only way that you can stop is to fall down. Sometimes I believe God allows us to fall down. God allowed me to fall down in January of 2007. And he taught me some important lessons about the precious moments that we have. He taught me that through allowing a diagnosis of prostate cancer to enter into my life. I'm glad that God has healed me and he is my healer today and I, there are no signs of cancer in my body. I praise God for that. But I've learned some enduring lessons from that. To stop running down the hill. And he allowed me to fall down to get that lesson. The alternative to falling down is to lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sisters and brothers, God is so committed to helping us find rest for our souls that there are times in which he will make us slow down. He will make us lie down. So, has the speedometer in your life made it into that red warning zone? Is it causing soul disease? Then maybe you're like Bill Hybels, the famous pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, who hit a wall with such velocity that he ended up in a Christian counselor's office wondering if there were enough fragments of his soul to rebuild his inner person. And this is what Bill Hybels said about that experience back in 1990. He said, I felt like a machine. 
I felt something had died on the inside. I felt distant from God, ambivalent about people, apathetic about the future, numb about the past. And I had to admit at a certain point in time in the healing process that I'd gotten that way through sheer speed. I said yes to way too many things. I had neglected the God-designed rhythm of working and then resting. I'd worked for 15 years with no recreation in my life. I thought that I was an exception. I thought I was beyond the need for solitude. I thought I was beyond the need for quiet reflection, reading God's Word, not just preaching it, but reading God's Word for my own soul's nutrition. I had no patterns of solitude in my life. I had no rhythms of reflection, no regular times when I would practice prayer and confession. You see, Bill Hybels didn't see any correlation between his speed and the health of his soul, but there's a direct correlation. The more your speed goes up, the more the health of your soul will go down. That's not to say that there aren't times when it's important to be speedy Gonzales. But when you have those times of strenuous activity, you need to balance that out through rest and recreation. You've got to get those lines and those speed limits sorted out for yourself. No one can do it, do it for you. And I've got them sorted out for me. And I'm keeping an eye on the dashboard of my life as I dri- drive down life's highway. I'm not going to be passive about it anymore. And every now and then, I'm taking a look. I'm monitoring my speed how fast I'm driving, even when others are passing me by, living in the country is doing wonders for me. I can put down the dirt road and have angry drivers behind me and not have it bother me. I'm learning to slow down. David writes here in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And then finally he says, he leads me beside still waters. Still waters, silence, solitude, freedom from noise. Fortunately, the time is out. I wanted to talk to you about television sets today. And sound like an old-time preacher, but it seems to me that in every American home I go into that the TV is the constant companion. It's constantly running. People go home and turn on the television set even if they're not watching it. It's very interesting. There was a survey done that asked people, why do you watch TV? Why do you have a TV in your home? Anybody guess what the number one reason that was given? The TV was on for noise. For noise. We can't take silence. In church, it gets awkward in church when there's a moment of silence. It's like, When is this moment of silence going to be over? I can't take it. But here's my point. I think the real problem is that that some of us need to slow down and we need to eliminate some of the background noise in our life. The reason for that is because the noise is affecting our souls. The noise is eating away at the silence that God wants to speak into your life. And so the challenge this morning is learn to appreciate quiet again. I want to challenge you to cut cut the amount of TV being watched in your home by 50%. Seriously, just an experiment. 
try to cut it by at least 50%. When you're in the car, maybe tomorrow, instead of cranking the radio on, drive to work in silence. And if you do it, you will be uncomfortable at first. But if you remember that God is there, he will be all you need. David ends this passage by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The first four lead to the fifth. He restores my soul. You see, I think what David is saying here is that as we embrace the good shepherd and recognize his nearness, that he is near in our lives. As we simplify rather than continue uh, in chronic discontent, as we make time for rest, the rhythm of our lives, instead of always running in frantic activity, as we turn off the noise and we learn to be still, then we'll find ourselves in a place where God will restore. And you'll begin to see the spiritual fatigue kind of dripping away. You'll be refreshed, but only as you do the first four. Put your hands, put your life in the hands of the Good Shepherd. Simplify and become content. Balance activity with rest. Learn to be still. And then find yourself in a place where God will restore you. Help me and all of us, O God running frantically here and there, doing good things. But in this frantic pace, Lord, many of us are suffering from soul fatigue. Will you today, Lord, rejuvenate those who are weary? Will you instill in each one of us creative thought to be able to to be still before you, to eliminate and to simplify and to make our life, Lord, more balanced? For you. Help us, O oh God, to get ourselves in a place where we can hear your voice in the midst of the din and the noise, where we can hear your voice speaking to us. And today, Lord, I pray especially for those who need restoration, who are just plain worn out spiritually. Grant rest and restoration. And usher us into the presence of Almighty God who is here. Thank you that you are here. We praise you and we bless your name. <laughs>